You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, you're all in for a really special treat. I have my bestie, psyched mommy, Dr. Asherina Reem here with us today. And we're going to talk all things setting boundaries with moms and mother-in-laws. This has been a much requested topic in polls and DMs on Instagram and even into my inbox at Happy as a Mother. When we enter into parenthood, navigating boundary setting with our parents and our parents-in-laws is no joke and the struggle can be so real for so many of you. In the episode today, Dr. Asherina Reem and I go through why boundary setting is so essential what makes setting boundaries with our moms and mother-in-laws particularly complicated? And then we also answered some questions that listeners submitted about frequent boundaries that moms and mother-in-laws tend to cross, such as gift giving or kissing and hugging and overstepping certain parenting choices. This interview is going to be a little bit different than some of the others you've listened to because Asherina and I are really close and love to spend our time together. So get ready to hear about boundary setting with moms and mother-in-laws with psyched mommy, Dr. Asherina Reem. Hey mamas, have you heard? Psyched mommy, Dr. Asherina Reem and I have joined forces to form Mom Freely. We were strangers to one another just a few years ago. Strangers who shared a similar passion and mission to support mom's mental health. Our vision was fueled by our desire to offer validation through these hard situations and provide education to parents globally. With much of our work running parallel and a shared vision to foster community and support, we've created Mom Freely. Through Mom Freely, we offer workshops, courses, and host our motherhood community called Mom Freely Together. To stay connected with us and learn more from the two of us, head to momfreely.com. That's momfreely.com where you can view all of our current offerings. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Hi, Bestie. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us on the podcast. You don't even get a Dr. Asherina Reem anymore. It's just Hi, Bestie. How you doing today? <laughs> Good. How are you? We're going to pretend like we didn't talk or don't chat. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like we don't just like talk all these other like lifing things and then we hop on. It's going to be, for those of you who do not know or have not heard Asherina and I speak before, this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast episode. 
because we are very close. We run Mom Freely together. We run our workshops together, a membership community together. And we're pretty much like sister from another mister. Is that like a thing? (laughs) Is that a thing people say? We're two peas in a pod. And so it's going to kind of be like really close friends, but also, you know, licensed professionals and people here who share the same passion for working with moms here today to hash out a really, really big topic. And this actually has been requested multiple times. And that's dealing with, I say dealing with, but like setting boundaries with our own mothers and or mother-in-laws when we become parents ourselves. You and I both do these weekend polls often, and I feel like mother-in-laws come in those polls and community question polls so often. Is this something that you feel like comes up for you a lot on your platform as well? For sure. Yes. All the time. Every single time we do polls, that's like one of the questions that always comes up. And if I do, say I share one of the poll questions and it says like, do you have a challenging relationship with your mother-in-law? then I will get the dozens of responses that'll be like, well, no, not with my mother-in-law, but with my actual mother. And so people are just all over the board, but this is a big theme Mm -hmm. that comes up. Yeah. And I think that there's a couple of pieces here that really like stand out to me. One is that we don't expect that when we step into parenting, that we're going to be brought back into our childhood in such a real way. So like when I became a mom, I then started to view my mom and dad, my parents, through the lens of me now as a parent. And that was something that I was not expecting and is something that if you had a challenging relationship with your parents or a traumatic upbringing or in my case went through a really high conflict custody and access assessment and divorce that was like really tumultuous and you know hostile and things really just can resurface all this stuff to do with our parents when we step into parenthood mhm you start to evaluate them yeah from a different perspective and a different lens i mean you're seeing everything they did. And in your mind, you're thinking, was that good or was that not good? How did this impact me? What didn't I like about that? And it forces you, entering parenthood forces you to see those relationships under a new light, under a new scope. And then now we're adding this another layer of having my parent or another adult interact with me or my child. Now I have all these feelings because of all these experiences I've carried in through this, you know, into parenthood with me. Like this mm-hmm. baggage that I carry with me on my back. And I know personally how these things have impacted me. So this is why it's such a big deal. The stakes are so high, yes. right? Like we know the outcome of their parenting. <laughs> yes. I'm like, we're just going to share a little personal piece here. We were just out for a walk. My husband and I, we were taking our son for a bike ride. And we were just talking about all the things that, you know, were maybe helpful, but a lot of the things that we recognized shaped us into the people that we are, whether one of them led us to be more cautious or one of them made us doubt something more. And it was these little interactions that were consistent interactions that we had with our parents. And me personally, my mom lives locally, so she lives fairly close to me. And I'm like, oh, sometimes I'm like, I see her doing this with my son. Mm. And I know how this has impacted me. And I think that is the piece that, as we see it from the lens of being the parent now, that we're like, no, stop it. You know, we feel like we need to change something because we know what effect it has had. We know the impact. Yeah. And that's not necessarily to like place blame or say, you knowingly did this or you tried to hurt me, but we know 
now we have a new sense of awareness and understanding mm-hmm. and we want things to be different. Well, and now there's a shift in the power dynamic because, you know, with my mom and being her child and not being a parent myself, being subject to the boundaries that, you know, my parents had set for me growing up and they're in this authority role over me. And now becoming a parent and wanting to interfere in, you know, maybe patterns that continue to play out with my child or things that are said, now I am parenting my parent in a way right? Mm -hmm. Now I am in this more parenting or authority role to not correct, but boundary set and sort of steer the behavior of my parent. And that is a weird and awkward, clunky place to find ourselves or that we're kind of thrown into that, again, we weren't expecting or maybe haven't navigated before. Mm -hmm. And there's these like new issues that come to play. I actually can think of a client situation where this came to play, where this created such tension and conflict because what are we saying when we say to our parents or to our in-laws, we don't parent that way? And like, I know you do. And I know like, like I'm not saying these are the words we're using, but in our action, yeah. we say like, I get that that's what you want to do, but we don't do things that way. Mm-hmm. And so much of this is like the conflict of, well, are you saying I did it wrong? Right. Or, you know, we hear well, I raised you or I raised, you know, your partner. What are you saying? Did I not know what I was doing? I think I did a pretty good job. And we see this conflict and this comes up so frequently and so often and obviously dependent on the dynamics of the relationship. It doesn't always sound like that or look like that, but we fear we will offend somebody and then we automatically fill in all of the blanks for what we think they're thinking, right? Like they think, Mm. I think they're terrible or Mm-hmm. The list goes on with assumptions. Yeah. Well, it brings a question to my mind. And we had, I put a poll out in stories and we had solicited some of the input of our Mom Freely Together community to see sort of what are the common themes that people are encountering when setting boundaries with moms and mother in laws and what things are coming up. And one of the ones was about how do we set boundaries without things getting emotional intense. And you were saying like without offending them and without, you know, upsetting them or rocking the boat. And I'm like, is not rocking the boat like the goal of boundary setting? No. This comes back to something that feels really uncomfortable. And I think a lot of the times what happens is we think like, okay, well, I have to set this boundary. All of this stuff is going to come up. How do I change it so it's pleasant? But really what we're doing is internal work for ourselves because boundary setting is so much more about us not having a firm grasp on what our boundaries are, what the Mm -hmm. non-negotiables are, what we will not tolerate. We have a hard time tolerating uncomfortable emotions. We don't like the conflict. We have people-pleasing tendencies. You go back to all these things. And so much of boundary setting isn't actually about the dynamic with the other person, but it's with like, what is going on for me? What was I programmed to believe? What was I taught about interactions? Mm -hmm. And now I'm disrupting all of that. (laughs) And it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. So we have to do so much self-exploration in the process, setting boundaries. And who wants to do that? Mm. Nobody. (laughs) Right. It's such a deeper thing. Like why 
am I fearful to set a boundary with them? Is it because, you know, the majority of my life I was sort of conditioned to prioritize maybe my mom's needs before mine or to try to people please to not rock the boat? And that's something that I've internalized and learned. And so therefore boundary setting feels really uncomfortable for me. Or when I set boundaries, you know, there's fear that there will be a hostile reaction or maybe there has been in the past if we have maybe more of a narcissistic parent or something, you know. And so there is, like you said, that meaning behind why we're hesitant. And it often has something to do with the story we're telling ourselves or something to do with our upbringing. Mm -hmm. So when we go into that situation where we're wondering if we're going to offend somebody or, you know, it's not going to feel good boundary setting is not going to feel good, not going to feel pleasant, especially if you're not used to doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's where like the emotional tolerance piece comes in. Like, how do I manage a feeling that doesn't feel good, but I know it's still the outcome can be good. Mm -hmm. Well, it reminds me of the takeaway pieces of our boundaries workshop that we have that we're going to be running live here as well soon that the idea that it doesn't feel good sometimes to set a boundary, but not setting a boundary feels worse or like is such a prolonged suffering compared to 15 seconds of bravery to say no or to set a boundary in the moment than to suffer in this relationship ongoing where the pattern plays itself out over and over and over again. So when we're talking about boundary setting as being painful and fearful, yes, it's uncomfortable. But the alternative is probably more painful in a lot of ways. Oh, for sure. I mean, because what comes up for you, thinking back on any situation where you didn't set a boundary, you wanted to, it felt so challenging, so you didn't. Mm. And do you just go with that? Do you feel ease? Or do you still feel that tension? I think in our mind, we think, oh, if I just don't say anything, I won't bring anything up and this will be fine and we'll just continue going as we do. But it doesn't work like that. When we don't set the boundaries, we are still having an internal experience because we didn't get to say what we, you know, what we're thinking. We didn't Mm. express our feelings. We didn't tell somebody how their behavior is not working for us. Mm -hmm. And then starts that little seed of bitterness. And then that bitterness grows. And now I'm frustrated. Now I'm resentful. And now I think about it a lot. And I talk about it a lot. Or I talk about the, you know, the scenarios in my head of I can't believe she said that. And I really wanted to say this. And we just grows. And that little seed of bitterness just grows and grows and grows. And we think, well, at least I didn't rock the boat. But our own boat is like rocking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's rocking so bad that we decided that we didn't want to share something with somebody else because we thought that was the best thing to do, but we are suffering. Mm -hmm. Nothing feels settled for us. And sometimes depending on the nature of the size of the boundary, it can feel like little betrayals of ourself, right? It's like, oh, I'm just going to swallow this and I'm going to hold this back and I'm going to swallow this back. And then we've put this person so far before our own needs that, like you said, resentment and anger is the byproduct because we have needs that are unmet. And so we're going to be angry. And then, you know, our needs have to get met somehow. And then what happens? Like passive aggressive interactions or maybe fights with our partner that they're not setting a boundary with, you know, their mom. And there is a ripple effect somewhere. 
because our needs can only go unmet for so long, depending on how close these relationships are to us, right? If they're like daily parts of our interactions or they're only like every holiday, maybe it's not such a big deal, right? But if it's these daily interactions, then it's something that can really cause a rift, cause a problem. Mm -hmm. I can think of so many situations. My mom had a really hard time setting boundaries when I was growing up. And I noticed how this impacted me because I kind of latched on to a lot of the same patterns in what she would do instead of telling people. She never told people how she was feeling. So she was very much a people pleaser. But then when she couldn't do something or she didn't want to do something, instead of being honest about it, she would avoid or she would tell like a white lie. That's how she got out of everything. Mm. When I was little, it didn't really bother me much because I didn't really think too much about it. I was just a little kid listening to my mom go through this experience. And as I grew up and more so as I became a parent, I realized what was so hard about just saying it, you know, Mm. because she'd bring to me as an adult now, even she'd bring to me the conversation where I say, mama, why don't you just mention this the next time you talk? And it feels so impossible for her. Mm. And I'd love to say that I just saw it as an observer, but I adopted so many of these things. And when I got into school and when I had to talk to my teachers or my employers, when I was a young adult, even as a teenager and a young adult, I struggled. I felt like I couldn't take up space and, you know, Mm -hmm. sharing my feelings with them would make me feel like the, you know, the person that asked the question, I would get really emotional. I remember the first few times I had to ever talk to a teacher about something or like talk about a grade that was posted that was, it was incorrect. And I would shake and I'd get so emotional and then I'd get frustrated with myself. I'd be like, why does this Mm. keep happening? The first time I had to talk with an employer, I was just trying to ask for a a raise. It's something I had practiced for, I don't know how long, (laughs) probably six months. Psyched yourself up in the mirror, like, (laughs) Asherina, get it together. You've got this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like crying. I'm like on the verge of tears. And I thought, why is this so hard for me? And it wasn't until I realized like this was a pattern that was passed on to me. And now this dynamic can play on forever and I can, you know, live in that prison. Mm Mm-hmm. Or I have to start doing some really uncomfortable work. And that was exposure. Little boundary setting exercises every day. Little tiny things. Just saying no without even offering an explanation. Mm -hmm. Or just saying, you know what, I don't really feel like doing that. Without lying. Mm -hmm. Without having an excuse. And those little exposures, those little practices just grew. And you find like, okay, this is getting a bit easier. It's not perfect. And it doesn't always feel Like I can do it. Sometimes even today, I'm like, oh, this is going to feel terrible. Mm -hmm. This is going to feel awful. But I know what the other side holds. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in order to build up the courage, like, you know, I said that like 15 seconds of courage or that one minute of courage to have that conversation and, you know, get it out of the way, we need to understand why this is so important, right? And we've touched on it a little bit. And the pieces that make boundary setting important are self-care pieces, getting our needs met. Why would you say boundary setting is like an essential part of our mental well-being, honestly? Well, there's so many answers to this, really. And truly, when you think about boundary setting, it's like this declaration that says I am important. Mm-hmm. It's really, truly that says my needs are important. I am important. I value myself as a person. And I'd like you to do the same. Mm. And if we don't have something that contains us, that surrounds us, that defines who we are, then people can't see that. Mm-hmm. They won't know. And they are, it's like we're kind of offering them 
guardrails, to know how to navigate this relationship with us. So if we're not good at telling them what they are, what these non-negotiables are, what we're comfortable with, what we're uncomfortable with, they don't know how to interact with us and they are living in limbo and they are going to overstep because guess what? They don't really know. They don't know where you end and they begin. They don't know what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And sometimes when we think we're even being pretty good about practicing a boundary, we're not. We're vague. We're like, Mm. you know, on shaky ground with our requests. So it's definitely a practice. It is definitely going to be like the practice of showing other people who we are, what we're okay with. Mm -hmm. And I think that the process by which we set a boundary, understanding our communication style, understanding how to set an assertive boundary is a big conversation, one that we cover in detail in our boundaries workshop that is coming up on Friday, November 12th at 12 p.m. Eastern time, where we really dive into some of the practical exercises and ways to set those boundaries. But it is a skill. It is a skill that we learn that may not have been modeled for us, but that we can acquire later in life and practice that takes time but is worth it. Because like you said, it teaches people how to treat us. And when we're talking about this in the context of moms and mother-in-laws, It teaches our parents, our moms or mother-in-laws, ways that they can interact with us and or our kids and ways that they cannot. And a little bit of personal disclosure because why not? Here we are. I have had to set some really challenging boundaries with primarily my own mother. My mother-in-law lives overseas, so there's like a sea and ocean between us, so that's a pretty that's a pretty big boundary, I feel like. But like you said, things that are playing out before my eyes that were things from my childhood that I just fundamentally disagree with now that I've had to challenge my mom on. And it wasn't pretty for either one of us. But the outcome actually brought us closer together and opened up a door of communication for us to be on the same page, right? And so I think that it's an uncomfortable skill and it's clunky to apply at first and it takes practice and it doesn't come easily. So we start with the smaller pieces, not like the high stake ones, like some of the (laughs) the ones I've worked up to lately, but we practice it and we learn it over time. That's so true. And it's so hard. And I think that like, that's the piece that I want to remind people that it's okay if it feels hard, because it's hard for us, even when we've yeah. you know been practicing it for a while. But don't let those, you know, that resistance back you away to where you never do it. Mm. Because we know the burden, we know the pain of a boundaryless life, right? If you're, if you're listening to this, my guess is that you know what that feels like. You know what a boundaryless life feels like. You know what a boundary violator, you know, that experience feels like. And like you said, that brief 10 seconds, 15 seconds of courage, whatever it is, you can do it. And then having those like really good affirmations or the statements that you say to yourself to get yourself to do it. I used to, I still do this because I actually said this yesterday. And I, (laughs) it's almost embarrassing to say this, but I had like the world's (laughs) worst employer when I was a new grad. I was a new grad. I was like, right now, I'm like, aren't you your employer right now? What's going on? 
<laughs> no, outside of grad school, it was like my first job. It was the worst thing. Like there could have been a lawsuit on how bad my work environment was. And uh, I ended up leaving that job. Thankfully, I knew to walk away. And I always joke now, I'm like, if I could have sustained that, if I could have done that for, you know, X amount of months, I could do anything. I know I can do anything. The pain of this little short-lived tension that I have to do, I can do it. And that's like goes into one of the affirmations I tell myself, or like if I could survive grad school, if I could do like, you know, one of those placements for a year where you're not getting paid and you're working a lot of hours. If I could do that, I know I can do anything. And I used to just psych myself up in these strange ways. I've had a child. If I can deal with sleepless nights for the rest of eternity, I can deal with this, you know? And I've got to remind myself, and I think we all have to remind ourselves, like the strength that we have. And obviously these are dramatic, big events that I'm sharing with you. But in the day-to-day, like the strengths that you have, like what's your superpower, as I always say at home, like what do we know about ourselves that makes us capable? Mm-hmm. We got to sometimes remind ourselves who we are. Yeah. I do this to get myself through my workouts. If I can grow and birth a whole human, I can finish this 40-minute workout right now. Like I can, <laughs> It sucks, but I can do it, you know? And I think that it's true. And part of us psyching ourselves up for setting boundaries is that our anxiety can take over or like our thought traps and cognitive distortions where we are expecting and assuming the outcome to be far worse than it actually generally is. For sure. As though we're guaranteeing that this person's going to flip out and like turn a table over and be so upset with us. But in reality, maybe they're like a little off put and they kind of step back, but they're kind of like, hmm, okay, like noted boundary set, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the only way that things change in these relationships. I thought it might be fun for us to go through some of the questions that were submitted, particularly around dealing with managing moms and mother-in-laws. And there's some themes here. So some of these are going to be rolled into themes because lots of People obviously encounter the same challenges. So does that sound okay? You on board for that? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Oh, this one. Best way to control unwanted or too large of gifts. So like the gift giving and the large gift giving, you know, the buying of things. I just had the situation. Yes. We just had um, a couple months ago, had a birthday party for my son and... We didn't want any gifts because we wanted to be in charge of that. And I know that some people will say like that is, you know, selfish. You should allow grandparents to get gifts, you know, whatever. We just knew what we were able to deal with. We don't need any more things in our home. We are trying to live a more minimalistic lifestyle. Yeah. So we did not want gifts. And we bought him some gifts, like a handful of gifts. So we were very clear about this. I'm talking weeks in advance. The preparation of, um, you know, I know that you love our child and I know that you want to share your love for him by buying him something for his birthday, but we're, we're choosing to skip gifts this year. We want to share our love with him by spending our time with him. And if you feel so compelled, please donate to St. Jude. We had a whole thing up, like a link for people to donate to a cause. And people were like, are you serious? The pushback was real. Like, do I really not bring anything Mm. to this birthday party? And we're like, yes, Mm -hmm. we are so serious. (laughs) We are 100% serious. 
And I went through and you had to like set the boundary. You know, you, you say what it is very clearly. And if it's somebody that like you want to lay it out for them, like the why, go for it. We really have no room in our house or we're noticing that the more clutter, the more toys that we have, the less Johnny is playing with them or she's losing interest in her, Susie's losing interest in her toys. I'm just using the most random names ever. But Mm -hmm. explaining the why, if you want to, that's fine. But being very clear, like we are not doing toys this year. And if you do bring them, I want to be so honest with you, we're going to end up donating them to a shelter. So if you want to bring them along, we'll donate them. But we are really not accepting gifts this year. Mm -hmm. How about, you know, you can show him or her that you love them in another way, like make a card or do something special or have a treat together, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. But we actually did not get one gift. And I was so thrilled that we got to the birthday and there was not one gift there. I just felt like they listened. Wow. They heard you. They heard me. We were just like floored, like, wow, I can't believe this worked. Yeah. And we celebrated at home and he opened up his gifts that we got him and he was so thrilled and it didn't impact his birthday at all. But it was a good feeling because what Mm. happens otherwise, then you're transporting all the stuff back to your house. There's so much stuff and we'll do joint birthdays for the boys sometimes that I say the boys, the older two boys. And so you combine two parties, two sets of friends, two sets of gifts and wrapping paper and stuff. It's like a whole Christmas experience. Like there's just stuff everywhere and trying to manage mess and be more minimal and streamline, you know, the amount of toys that are out just to manage the overstimulation in the home and stuff like that. That's something that I'm very sensitive to. It's something that I also value and pay a lot of attention to. And so my mom is a gift giver. And I think that Sometimes the gift giving is like almost more about the other person than it is actually about the person on the receiving end of the gift. Like especially if we're talking love languages, one of those love languages can be like giving of things and giving of gifts. And I feel like I don't even know that I could name a time in the last like year that my mom has shown up without something in her hands, you know? So there's been lots of conversations around this, but it's like, okay, well, they really don't need any more toys, but Mikel's grown out of his winter boots. So if you would like to bring something with you, this is the size shoe that he's in, you know, and trying to steer and navigate those conversations towards things that you actually do want to accept into your home or that you are okay with because, man, kids get a lot of just stuff and it Mm -hmm. accumulates. And that is such a good point. It's like steering it, giving options. It's kind of like what we do to our kids, right? (laughs) But letting them know what's okay. That's the boundary, right? We're not accepting gifts. We're not accepting big gifts, but if you wanted to bring these items, or if you wanted to bring some books, like something that feels like it would fit with your home, right? go for it. So providing Mm -hmm. that alternative, I think works well, especially if you're working with somebody or like a parent that has a hard time with that feedback and that boundary. Mm -hmm, Right, where you're trying to be a little bit less maybe, not less direct because we want to be clear and not be vague, but we maybe want to offer an alternative to some people, especially if they really just simply love gift giving, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like some people, they they just really, I don't know, my mom turns up with something every time. I don't know what it is, but I'm like – Tell her to bring cash. Sometimes it's like turkey (laughs) soup. She does that too sometimes. Or it's going to be like we just had Thanksgiving here and I don't know when this is going to air, but a couple of weeks ago, 
And so she'll like turn up with like turkey soup that she made from leftovers. And so like it's great. But then there are times when, you know, it's toys or it's too much and it like steps over that boundary. And then it's my responsibility to kind of rein it in and communicate effectively. Oh, boundary crossed. Like don't really need any more toys or whatever else it might be. So yeah. Okay. Another one. Let's see. Ooh, kissing babies and or like forcing hugs and kisses like come give grandma a big hug and kiss kind of a situation that was a big one that came up how do we set boundaries with our moms and mother-in-laws around like I guess physical touch like and consent really Mm -hmm. right I think before you find yourself in the position it's always good to set the clear boundary ahead of time you never want to leave anything like a boundary up to chance so you don't want to like be in the moment and think like oh don't kiss the baby. Like you want to make it clear and you want to make it streamlined for everyone. If you need to call everybody or every guest that comes over that says, Hey, you know, whatever your boundary is, I'm so glad you're here, but these are just a couple of things that I wanted to lay out there for you. I remember in my postpartum experience, my family would kind of tease, make jokes about my boundaries and the limits I had set. I remember my uncle said, do we all have to come over in a hazmat suit? Mm. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, if you don't feel comfortable with my boundary, I see what's happening here. You know, I know you're just poking fun at this, but this is what works for us. Yeah, you cannot kiss him at all. We don't want anybody mm-hmm. to kiss the baby. And here are the reasons why. So saying it and being very clear. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we get this mixed up because we will try to be We try to be clear, but we're actually being indirect. We're like dancing around the real thing, right? (laughs) Yes. You're like, oh, um, you know, we don't usually kiss him on the face or anything like that because whatever. But really, we're trying to tell people. You don't do it. (laughs) Yes. While you're here, we are so glad you're here. We know that you love our kiddo. You can do X, Y, and Z. But what we're not comfortable with is, you know, and lay it out there. We don't want you or anybody else really to kiss him or her. And then if you want to explain, explain. If you don't want to, you don't have to. And some people might not feel comfortable with that. But your job is not to make people comfortable when setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. When it comes to you and your children, it's obviously to determine what feels safe for you and also what's safe for your child. And you want to start that and communicate that early on because when we set the boundary, we're saying that my safety needs are important. Mm -hmm. If we don't, and, you know, say you had a parent that didn't do that for you or help you with that, you'll notice that you'll struggle with that as you grow older Mm -hmm. of doing things that don't feel comfortable at the cost of you don't want to upset someone else. Yeah, I see this question kind of in two maybe age ranges where – You've got like a newborn kind of postpartum stage where people are coming over, they want to meet baby, and it's like, okay, well, if you're going to come, you know, maybe you want them to mask. Masks are still mandated indoors here, and you want them to wash their hands, or maybe you're inquiring about vaccine status, which is still a weird thing for people to dance around right now in terms of, is this a social norm that I'm allowed to ask, or am I not allowed to ask, you know? But there is this time in the postpartum period where, you know, okay, you're welcome to come for a visit, but we're only allowing people who are double vaxxed and, you know, willing to like sanitize and not kiss baby or something along those lines, right? And like you said, set that boundary clear in advance so it's not sprung on them when they get there. 
and be clear about it. And it's sort of a uniform boundary that we rinse and repeat with each of the conversations that come up to reinforce that boundary. And then we've got more the category with kisses and hugs and physical interaction where our children can communicate that they don't want the interaction, right? So the toddler who's trying to squirm away from the hug or I don't know what it is when my boys hit like four, four or five, they used to do lots of like kisses and like be all over me. And now it's like we do like little nose kisses, like little button noses, or they give me kisses on the cheek or I give them kisses on the cheek, but they want nothing to do with kisses anymore. It just changed one day. And like, that's totally okay. And even from a grandparent, they probably wouldn't even do like kisses on the cheek. It's like more hugs and high fives. Like it's like even more steps removed from that. And they can clearly communicate that now. And it's their body. It's their choice of preference on how they want to greet and, you know, say goodbye to people. And so that one is more like, oh, look, he's saying no, or clearly he doesn't want a hug right now. How about a high five? Or how about, you know, we read his body language and maybe ask for a hug later or something like that. So I can see two sort of different scenarios in which we have to set that boundary, right? One is more our safety preferences in the postpartum period and with COVID and with, you know, interactions and things. And the other is more like, hey, it doesn't look like my kid wants to be touched right now, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. That's such a great point. And I think that you're right in saying like they do look like two different scenarios. Obviously, one is when it's a baby and they want to be really clear. And the other is we are recognizing the preference our children have, like they're having and they're demonstrating. And we kind of narrate the situation. I do this with my family. Yeah. And I belong to, um, I'm Assyrian, so I'm Middle Eastern, and people are very affectionate, huggy, kissy, like yeah. affectionate. They're, they're kissing on both cheeks and you don't disrespect your elders. There's a lot of cultural messages yeah. that we have known and a lot of people still believe. So the idea of like a child not responding or not, you know, following through with the the request for a hug seems disrespectful sometimes in Mm -hmm. the culture. So I think when we see this from the lens of family dynamics, these are generational messages, there are cultural messages, there's so many things that are coming to play here. And it can be really hard because if you are in this dynamic where you almost are seen as the outsider for being the only one who is going to say, no, we don't do that. And I don't force my children to do that. It will feel very challenging. And I've had to do this with a number of things with my family. And I found what has been really helpful is when I talk about this and I explain the reasoning why we don't Mm. force our, our son to hug or kiss or any of those things. And we talk about like consent and we talk about safety and and um, how, if I force him to do these things now, how this can impact his life and his safety growing on. And that's really clicked for my family. It's really been important to show them like the why we do this and why we choose to do this, because we want him to be able to make these decisions on his own. We don't ever want, you know, somebody, whether it's family or non-family to overstep that boundary. And we want him to know that he's in charge. Mm-hmm. And when I shared that, it was like, wow, okay, I get that. And there was one thing in particular, I think I've shared this before, probably on a previous boundary workshop, but my mom would do this thing where she thought it was cute to give my son, like, I'll give you ice cream, just don't tell mommy. Mm-hmm. And it's like the keeping secret thing. And I had to explain to her how it was harmful and why it was harmful and like why the boundary is that we don't keep secrets. 
And since then, she has like, I never tell him that. I don't tell him that. I tell him that we're going to tell mommy if you want to have any of this now. So it's like she's realizing and recognizing the impact that it can have on his life as far as it relates to safety. Mm. And that has been really helpful because she didn't see it from that perspective. She just thought it was like, why can't we do this? This is like a fun thing that we do together. Or, you know, I want to just show him my love and affection. And I think when she had like the understanding, it was much easier for her to accept the boundary and work with me. Mm-hmm. The why, the why you're doing it or why we're approaching parenting in this style now or in this way. And it's not to say that your way is bad. It's not a criticism of you. It's an understanding of whether it's a new parenting research, not that you need to go pulling at research papers to make your point, but it's like, you know, these are the reasons why we're approaching it this way. My mom has a habit of talking about bad versus not bad food or healthy versus unhealthy food and junk food versus healthy food and whatever. Mm -hmm. That's a hard one. I'm like, says the lady who eats her ice cream every night, can you just (laughs) stop this? And again, sometimes it's modeling, sometimes it's having a conversation, or sometimes it's like, we don't talk about food in terms of unhealthy and healthy. Every food has something in it that our bodies can take, you know, from the food, whether it's energy from ice cream or whatever, like there is no moral value in food. But one of the other questions that came in, I think can kind of fit into this flow right now is making sure that we're enforcing our boundaries. And this is a really great point. It's that like when we set a boundary one time, doesn't mean that everything changes, right? Like sometimes, especially if we have people in our lives who tend to be more on the boundary violating side, we might have to parrot a boundary over and over again. And you laid this out so well on your Instagram I'm sure you'll share it leading into the boundary workshop, the boundary violator versus like boundary errors. Do you want to just outline what that looks like a little bit so people can understand the difference? Yeah, sure. So we think about like from the beginning when we're talking about what boundaries are and if we don't speak and we're not clear in defining what it is, people don't realize that we even have a boundary. So when they're crossing a boundary that they don't even know exists, that's an error because they don't even know that they're – it's like saying – hey, guess what? This grassy land here, there's no trespassing, but I'm not going to tell you where that no trespassing sign starts. Where the line (laughs) is, right? Like where you're allowed to walk and where you're not. Exactly. So we're telling people that there's going to be some areas in there that they can't cross, but we haven't told them where they are. And so people will unknowingly cross a boundary. They will trespass because they didn't actually know where the limit was. Mm. And that's Mm -hmm. a boundary error. A boundary violation is when you have been clear, when you have been firm, when you have repeated the boundary, you've told people, and they choose to just push back. They're choosing to cross Mm -hmm. that boundary. And a lot of us have people in our lives that despite our best efforts to put those boundaries in place, they will push back. Is it because they don't value us or they just want to blatantly disrespect us? I don't know. That's hard. Obviously, each person is different. So much of it is dependent on the person and their style of thinking, the way that they were raised, their beliefs that they have. So this can be really tricky, but we have to understand that there are going to be errors that occur all the time because people cannot read our minds when it comes to our boundaries. They cannot tell us what feels, you know, uncomfortable. They can't just like pick up on those things. I wish they could Mm because that would be amazing. It was like, you know, that, what was that game that we used to play when you were little, like that doctor game? 
where you go in and you go to like pick something up inside operation and then like the buzzards mm-hmm. go off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like lighting up. <laughs> that would be amazing. You know, like somebody gets right. really close to crossing a boundary and it's like all the alarms set off. So we have to be that alarm that says, oh, you know what? I can tell that you're doing this because you're trying to be helpful, but right now I need, and then naming our own needs. So we have to be clear. Yeah. And some people, you know, we set a boundary with, and like you said, it was an error and they readjust really quickly and it's fine, you know, and they learn and they move on. Other people might re-step over that line over and over again for a number of different reasons. One can be that they just, you know, are sort of intentionally violating or maybe a little bit like narcissistic or focus on their own needs. Others might be that they struggle with like impulse control and things like, and and this comes up in the context of my son who we suspect is ADHD. We're monitoring right now. And he violates a lot of boundaries because he has a hard time regulating his impulses, right? So like he will invade his brother's physical space. He will say things with his words that maybe hurt sometimes because he feels his feelings so intensely. And so there will be times when we have to reestablish boundaries with him over and over and over again. And it's not out of like malice intent for him. It's out of like a challenge regulating his impulses, you know? So there's lots of different reasons why people, I think, might repeatedly violate boundaries. But either way, in those situations, it's always our responsibility to, like you said, sound the alarm and put the boundary in check still. And I think that the majority of our workshop really is focused on teaching how to deal with those boundary violations, Mm -hmm. right? How to set those boundaries in an assertive and clear way and how to restate them and things to navigate those more tricky boundary setting conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is going to be incredibly helpful because we all have somebody in our lives that's going to just push that boundary. And we have to like also think about how sturdy is my boundary? How firm is it? Because if someone's not used to your boundaries, they are going to have a harder time with recognizing what's there. Mm. It's like, well, if I'm only putting this out there, if I'm only putting this trespassing, you know, sign and gate and all the stuff out every once in a while, it's not like a solid, like people don't know. They're not familiar with it. It feels like, it's wishy-washy. It feels like it's unstable. So we have to be just repeatedly and consistently so clear. And it's it's annoying. It's annoying sometimes that we've got to spell it out for people, right? Mm-hmm. It would feel so good if everybody around us just knew what felt good and what didn't. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're all raised a different way and we all have different beliefs and ideas and we're just never going to see eye to eye that way. Right. We have different needs and sometimes we have such a hard time even identifying our own needs. So somebody else can't always anticipate them. And my needs based on my husband's needs or my needs from the next mom or wife's needs are all very different. And so in order for us to get those needs met effectively, we have to learn how to communicate and set those boundaries. It's interesting because it begs the question in my mind, like, who is it necessary for us to have boundaries with? Right? Because You think about, okay, like it makes sense that I have to have boundaries with somebody who is like a boundary violator or like the coworker at work who's a bit of like an a-hole and just like, you know, whatever. But (laughs) you're my coworker right now. (laughs) You're like my only coworker. (laughs) You're, you, I love you. You are not an a-hole. 
But, you know, we think of boundaries as, I think, being outside of our family. And really, sometimes the most important people that we need to set boundaries with are the people that we live in our home with, including our children, you know? Like, and that, uh, when I first sort of went down this rabbit hole of thought around boundaries and mom setting boundaries with their kids and stuff was kind of like a weird concept because you came from my vagina. I fed you on my boobs. Like, what do you mean boundaries? Like there is no thing in this relationship that we have, but there are, and they're important. And I feel like that could be a whole nother episode for a whole nother day, but boundaries aren't just for strangers or people outside of our Mm -hmm. home or, you know. The ones that are the most challenging are with our families and with our parents and with our, you know, in-laws because there's so much more at stake. It's like, well, this could ruin the whole dynamic of a relationship or this could rock the boat up pretty bad. And then how are we going to do the holidays? There's just so much more and there's so much more that you're invested in in the relationship that it becomes challenging. Like obviously when it's like a coworker or somebody that you as an acquaintance, it's just not that like the the relationship might not be as valued. It might not be as important. It might not be that involved in your life. So it's so challenging with the people that we know and love. But another piece of boundary setting is not even with the people around us. It's with ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, within ourselves. How am I setting limits with what I speak to myself? How am I setting limits with the expectations I set or the things that I do? So yeah, there's obviously this is a, that could be a whole nother conversation for a whole day. It's important work. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to realize those different areas where it's essential to set these boundaries, because I think that boundary setting and some of the first steps to take are probably with ourselves and the best areas to practice are with those around us. Like when my kids want to barge in the door when I'm peeing and I just click the lock button and say, mommy will be done in a minute. You can wait outside. There's just little ways that we can practice boundary setting to build up our confidence and tolerance for those bigger boundary conversations. And there's plenty of opportunities at home, starting with our own littles and our own partners and stuff to just practice this skill. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I just think about like boundaries is at the root of everything. Boundaries is at the root of, you know, burnout, of anger of resentment, Mm. of all of the feelings and all of the experiences. Because when we lack a boundary, it feels like pure chaos. Mm -hmm. And we give everybody access to us and to our emotional bank account. Right. They can take. So it's it's a skill that can impact someone's life in the greatest way, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so obviously this being such a big topic and such a big pillar, foundation pillar in our self-care and emotional and mental well-being, we are going to, you and I, host together a boundaries workshop on November 12th, intentionally leading into the holiday time that can be a really stressful time for so many. And in this workshop, we're going to help you understand the different types of boundaries, the different areas in which, you know, people can intrude upon our boundaries and how we can protect those areas. 
We're going to talk about boundary styles and working towards what healthy boundaries look like. Like I think we need to know the benchmark and what we're aiming for before we go out sort of willy-nilly trying to, you know, attempt these things. And then we're also going to get into some of the communication pieces around how to effectively communicate and set these boundaries. Mm -hmm. So lots of really practical skills-based things that we're going to cover in this workshop. And if you would like to join us in person, I encourage you to hurry and snag your seat because there are limited seats. And you can go to happyasamother.co slash boundaries, and it'll lead you through to our mom freely stuff together. And we've got lots of other offerings there as well. So you can head to happyasamother.co slash boundaries to sign up, reserve your seat for our live workshop on November 12th. Bestie. Yes. (laughs) Back into (laughs) informal bestie mode now. Thank you for taking the time. I always love hanging out with you and appreciate you being here with us today and sharing your knowledge and yeah. Thank you for having me. It's always like a girl's chat with coffee, except I don't have coffee, but it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love our time together and I, I always learn from you despite how many conversations we have together. So appreciate you so much. I appreciate you, bestie. Let's chat soon. Thank you. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.